You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. On Sunday, the world faced a tragedy when Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and seven others died in a helicopter crash. Many, like myself, were numb. And over the past few days, we've seen tributes at NBA games, thousands of fans outside of the Staples Center, and high emotions from players and fans who had a connection to Kobe. With us today to discuss this this tragedy is Terry Foster, the longtime columnist at the Detroit News and radio personality. Welcome, Terry. Yes, thank you for having me. Great. Um, as we're getting started, tell us um, how you're feeling right now um, just a few days after uh, Kobe's uh, death. Well, I'm um I don't want to use the term over it, but I guess I wasn't as emotional as other people were. I mean, it was a tragedy and he's the fact that it happened, but um I think um maybe I fall in line with my daughter Celine. She did she cried over what happened and she didn't cry over Kobe Bryant the Laker or Kobe Bryant the uh basketball player. She cried for Kobe Bryant the father and Gigi the daughter because he was taking her to, uh, you know, a travel game. And what she thought about was all the travel games that I took her to. But, you know, we didn't go by helicopter. We uh, went by car. And um, so it was a, a special bond between me and my daughter and, and the same thing that Kobe had. So um, I was really sad by the family aspect of it um, with Gigi and Kobe being there. And, and uh, my, my whole thing is I wonder what the final moments were like. Was he able to comfort her? Was, was he able to hold her hand or hug her? Or, you know, probably not because that, you know, things happen pretty quickly. And I've never been in a plane crash or helicopter crash, but I have to think everything was pretty hectic. So. Sure. And in terms of players around the league, um, I mean, you've got Kawhi Leonard who shared the same helicopter and pilot as Kobe and others like LeBron who saw Kobe the night before. So, Tell me what you think uh, may be going on in their minds. Um, thank God, probably, is what's going through their mind. But, you know, it seems like that um, the pilot made an error. And sometimes if you're a valuable commodity, that uh, you need to be able to talk to the pilot and say, no, uh, this seems too dangerous, or let's go back home, or let's go somewhere safe and not do this today. So, um, you know, that seems something that, that athletes should be able to do. And I'm sure they do under, uh, if they think they're in danger. So I'm sure Kawhi Leonard was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just so happy that I wasn't uh, in that flight or that I haven't uh, been in that situation. And I think now, uh, athletes and, and people, other people who are going to be, uh, riding helicopters knows if it's foggy, Let's pull out. Let's not do this. 
Okay. And Terry, as, as a journalist, um, tell us about the first time you met Kobe and tell us a little bit about what you learned from him and what you thought of him uh, as a basketball player, as well as uh, p- potentially the evolution of him, uh, seeing him possibly as, as an 18-year-old kid, you know, moving on to someone who has grown into adulthood. I think the thing that struck me, the same thing with Kobe and LeBron James at such a young age, how mature they are, the way that they spoke. Because when I, when I talk to um, a lot of NBA players, especially when they're young, they're just rambling. They're talking, but they're not really saying anything. But Kobe spoke a little slower. Um, he wanted you to understand what he was saying, and uh, he was trying to get a message across. So. That was um, the thing that struck me with him. Um, and, you know, a few times when I, when I was covering the NBA, I would peek in to uh, the opponents' locker rooms, see what they were doing. And usually guys are just horsing around and laughing and having a good time. Kobe always had his headphones on, was staring at some notes on uh, the opponent that night, and he was razor-sharp focused. Now, the one time I saw him that he was not focused was prior to the 2004 uh, NBA Finals with the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the news sent me out early to talk to uh, to do a Lakers story. I talked to Kobe Bryant and Gary Payton, and they barely knew who they were playing. They did not respect the Pistons. You know, it was just a matter of time before they won this series, and that was the only time I saw him unfocused, and the Pistons ended up completing the Pistons' sweep by uh, beating the Lakers in uh, five games in, in that series. So. And and why do you think that they weren't focused at that time? Because they didn't respect the Pistons. Uh, they thought it was an inferior team. Bill Jackson kind of alluded to that in his book. You know, there's no way they should have lost to him. Um, you know, you have a center in Ben Wallace who can't score. Uh, you have a center in Ben Wallace who they thought could not uh, stop Shaq. But the person that stopped Shaq in that series was Kobe. Kobe wouldn't pass to him, or he didn't pass to him enough. So um, so it made Ben Wallace's job a little bit easier. But uh, they just looked at the Pistons as a defensive team, couldn't score enough points to stay up with them, and kind of, you know, bit them in the, bit them in the end. Right. One of the things that struck me was his friendship with Richard Hamilton. I mean, they knew each other. Um, since they graduated from high school, they both were on the McDonald's All-American team uh, together. Um, talk talk to me a little bit about that and, and what uh, that made in terms of the competitive rivalry rivalry between both of those players. Yeah, because Rip, Rip was a guy that we know he wasn't the greatest player in the NBA. He was very good, but he thought he was. So if that was the case, then, you know, he – he wanted to stop Kobe. He wanted to outdo Kobe. So, um, and, and, and that started in high school, continued, um, in the NBA because Kobe obviously didn't play, um, in college. But Rip was one of those guys that, uh, obviously we call him the Energizer Bunny. He felt he couldn't be stopped when he was, um, uh, when he was on. And that included Kobe Bryant, who's one of the best defenders in NBA history, too. So I am sure that. You know, they, they bark back and forth to each other in a friendly matter. And uh, because, you know, Rip Hamilton, you know, if you ask him, 
he thought he was every bit as good as Kobe Bryant, even though we know that was not the case. Sure. Um, when when we talk about Kobe, obviously he came into the league at 17 and he wasn't a refined player by any stretch of the means, but he had the mentality of wanting to be the best. Um, what did you notice out of Kobe over the years? What was something that stood out about him that you did you saw in him that you wouldn't see um, in other players? Well, I tell you what, um, in first year, first couple years in, in Kobe's career, he took the big shot and missed it. Now, to me, that's significant because young players don't even want to take that shot. There's a bunch of guys in the NBA who don't want to take that shot in the last 30 or 40 seconds of the game. Here's Kobe, the teenager. I'm going to take that shot and I'll live with it. That's that's pretty big right there uh, from a guy. So you could tell that greatness was on his mind, even though he wasn't hitting the big shot as a youngster. But then as time progressed, he embraced that role and felt more comfortable, more relaxed, knew he didn't have to rush things, that because of his fluidity, that he could get off any shot that he wanted, and he started making those shots. And so what made him sort of change into that? Because, you know, either you have it or you don't. So what did you see out of him that made him um, you, you, you embrace um, being the person who will carry all the weight of being uh, the winner or the loser of a game? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people talk about Kobe Bryant's work ethic. And part of work ethic is confidence. Part of because if you work hard, you know you're going to have success. Now you don't always have success, but in your mind, everything's going to work out. And so I thought early on, he still felt that things were going to work out, but he didn't figure the league out. He didn't figure out the fact that you know I've got more time than um, than I thought I did. I don't have to rush the shot. I can still go through my A, B, C, Ds and E's or whatever he had in his mind and hit the shot. And so I think what happened is he got older. The, the game was slower for him. He slowed it down. Uh, he took his time. He was a little bit more focused. And I think when he was a youngster, he was just taking shots, hoping they would go in. Okay. And and so you mentioned his work ethic. Uh, talk a little bit more about what his work ethic Worth work ethic was, and did you ever get a glimpse of his workout um, after a game? Because because Dwayne Wade told a story uh, last night um, that they were playing in Miami, um, and uh, the way that Miami was defending Kobe, that they kind of shut him down that night. And after the game, after he had done all of his press, he ended up working out on the floor on the things that he you know worked on or or what he missed during the game and yeah i never actually witnessed uh, a post-game workout with kobe bryant but i have seen him in the arena like three in the afternoon when there's no the only people in the in the arena are the workers and kobe bryant was there he just not taking step uh shots but he's going through his steps going through his footwork uh faking guys out acting as if there's a defender in front of him and the dude's all lathered up. You know, he's got sweat all over his face and his uh, practice uniform is drenched. 
you don't see that much in the NBA because I think what happens is guys may do that early in their career, but when they become better, um, they don't even bother to show up. They may get their workout during the uh, the pregame shoot around, but by four, five, three o'clock, you know they're just resting their legs. And Kobe Bryant, a lot of times, didn't rest his legs. And I'm sure uh, Phil Jackson wishes he was, but this is who the dude was. I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to outwork you. If you're going to show up to the gym five hours early, I'm going to be there six hours early. So that was that, you know, black mamba mentality, whatever you want to call it. Right. And so what, what made him do that? I mean, it, I mean, because, you know, I mean, you're talking about Michael, I mean, people like Michael Jordan started the breakfast club, you know, in Chicago. I mean, what, what makes them have that extra gear that, that, um, that, that thing that just sort of makes them uh, do things that are abnormal to the average NBA player? I don't think uh, any of us can answer that question. He's just somebody special. He's somebody that comes around, you know, every few generations. You have to understand, let's, let's throw out the basketball. This guy is a classical pianist. Uh, he speaks five languages. Uh, you know, won an Oscar, writes children's books. Um, this is a guy that works on everything that he does. And, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why people uh, mourned uh, the loss, because they knew that this was somebody special, not just the basketball player. Because I've had elite basketball players tell me, if you just think of me as a basketball player, then I have failed. Because they want to be known in so many other different ways, whether it's running a team, whether it's writing, whether it's acting, whether it's singing or doing other things. They just want to, you know, they, they just don't want to be pigeonholed as a one-dimensional player. And obviously Kobe was like that. Sure. Um, as a journalist, tell tell me or tell us a little bit about your interactions with Kobe and what they were like. And what was it like sort of trying to interview him? Was he... Um, very quiet. Was he very calculated? Clue us into to the inner workings of you dealing with Kobe Bryant as a journalist. Uh, it was difficult sometimes because you know everybody wants to uh, interview Kobe, and uh, it was like you had your ten minutes, and that was it. Uh, except for maybe people that he knew a little bit better, maybe he gave them extra time. But that was always the visiting writer. So you don't get to know guys. So, you know, you just fire your questions and it was, it was a little bit tough sometimes. And, and, uh, I think the, uh, I think you knew you had a ticking clock going, you had your 10 minutes or eight minutes or whatever it was. And that was going to be it. And then when it was done, he was done. He would just, uh, you know, he was usually wearing ice on his uh, elbow and, you know, he would just, uh, secure that, you know, get, put on a sport jacket and he was gone. So didn't have great interviews with him, except the one time with the 2004 NBA finals where I, I thought he was an unfocused player. Okay. And and what was, share us one of your favorite memories with him, if you have any. Um, you know, I, 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 I wasn't real tight with him. Sure. I think maybe the favorite, you know, I don't know if it was a favorite memory, 
but it was uh, you know prior to the 2004 um, NBA Finals when I saw Kobe I hadn't seen before. It was a guy that was kind of unfocused and distracted and stuff. So to me, it struck me as odd. So don't know if it was a favorite, but it was uh, a memorable uh, confrontation, not confrontation, but interaction with him. Okay. Um, a, a lot has been made of the Mamba mentality. Um, and so clue us into what you believe what the Mamba mentality was. The Mamba mentality is I'm going to strike. I'm going to strike fast. You're not going to know what hit you. And uh, I'm going to be the best player on the court tonight. You're not going to beat me. I, I think those were all the ingredients that he brought uh, into the game night in and night out. Uh, at least that's what he tried to do. Because the one thing I learned about the NBA is you can't be what you want to be on every night. And it's not just because of the opponent, but – it may be because of scheduling. It's because you play four games in five nights and your opponent is only, you know, hasn't played two days. They might be a little bit fresher at the end. But he tried to bring that mindset and that mentality every time he walked into an arena. Okay. Uh, talk, to, talk to us a little bit about uh, Kobe Bryant, the father, um, and the family man that he became. Well, uh, I'm only familiar, familiar with him and Gigi, but, you know, he wanted to preach or teach her and other kids, too, about basketball, uh, the ins and outs of the game, about how you can not only outmaneuver your opponent, but outthink your opponent. And obviously, she bought into it because sometimes when you look at Gigi, she's firing back. You know, she's not just listening. She's got her own thoughts. She's got her own mindset, and it had to come from Kobe. So um, that was, um, I think that was a great okay. teacher that she had, and, um, and 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 so that was uh, very important to them. And you know, plus the other thing with that father daughter relationship, you know, they can wrap you around your, their fingers, and, uh, and I'm sure she did that with him. Sure. My my what, what was your question? my my question is what will Kobe's legacy mean um, twenty thirty or fifty years from now? Well, I guess he could be the NBA logo because I got a uh, I got a uh, uh, an email last night from a friend of mine in um, California, and there's two million people who petitioned to have him uh, his silhouette as the NBA logo. I did not sign it, and I actually don't agree that he should be. I think it should be Michael Jordan if you're going to move away from Jerry West. But I think what he's going to be known as, he's going to be known as a general generational player. I mean, there's a lot of great basketball players, but there's only a few where a group of other very good players are going to emulate, are going to be encouraged by you, are going to be motivated by you, and, uh, you know, in recent memory, the only ones I can think of, probably Michael Jordan, Colby, um, LeBron James, and maybe uh, Zion might be the next one. And uh, Luka Doncic may be uh, a player like that where he can push forward agendas. He can push forward players. He can teach players how to become great. So, um, you know, he he may not be one of the top three players of all time, greatest players of all time. 
But maybe number three on the list as far as being influential, or maybe number two. So that's what he's going to be known as, as a guy that's influential, a guy that um, has a generation of players who will swear by him and uh, think that he's the greatest of all time. And and talk a little bit about that impact um, with players as well as fans that never met Kobe Bryant. Um, you're talking about people like Victor Oladipo last night who made a big three, and after the game, he talked about how um, Kobe had influenced his game, um, and he had never met him. Um, so talk talk a little bit more about his impact in that sort of way, particularly with yeah, other I think players. Now we're, yeah, we're at an age now where you can see everybody's every move, even if you miss it on television, you can get it on the Internet. Um, also, um, Kobe would speak, uh, to these guys, he would teach, you know, even though he was a young man, he was like a elder statesman. He was like the professor that, um, that you listen to and that you learn and who made you a better player and a better person. So, um, that's going to be part of legacy. And, you know, once again, that's very difficult to, um, come by especially in the league where everybody thinks they're the greatest in the first place. Sure. One of the things um, that I've noticed over the last few days is that Kobe has brought out a lot of emotions out of particularly black men um, who have been crying, who have been mourning, who uh, haven't been able to express how they are. Uh, in terms of dealing with the loss of Kobe. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, how he affected particularly black men who have been known not to show their emotion um, as to what is going through, what they've been going through. Yeah, you know, um, you know, black males in particular have to be strong. You know, nothing bothers us. We don't talk to people no matter how bad things are. And uh, Kobe... Uh, reminded them that it's okay to let your emotions out. It's okay to love somebody. It's okay to hug somebody. It's okay to cry. Um, so um, I think he uh, he taught us that, and that's uh, very important. And, you know, he's not only is he helping players that he never met, but he's just ha- helping humanity and human beings that he's never met or people who came to ball. So uh, that was uh, part of his greatness, too. Okay. Um, what do you expect that will happen? I know you you it's hard to sort of anticipate exactly what's going to happen, but you know you've got the all star game that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, you know fans are still pouring in and out of the Staples Center. Um, you know as a Friday you'll have the the first game uh, with the Lakers and Clippers at the Staples Center, um, and then you know later on this year uh, you could probably anticipate. Uh, Kobe Bryant being elected to the Hall of Fame because this is his first year being up um, for uh, being in the Hall of Fame. And so talk to talk to us a little bit about um, what you anticipate and how long um, this period that we're in will last. Um, I think this period we're in right now for, the, for most of the nation will last until the Super Bowl. So we need a big event to pull us out of the morning of Kobe Bryant. Now, as far as L.A., uh, that's going to last a bit longer. And 
one thing I was uh, uh, thinking about, uh, I know I had a discussion with some people, who's going to win the NBA title? And I said, if a team in L.A. wins it, it's going to be the Clippers. Well, maybe that changes now. Maybe you have an organization. Maybe you have players. Maybe you have a fan base that all bridges together and becomes this superpower where now the Clippers become the team in L.A. that could win an uh, NBA title. But I I think for all-star games, big events, uh, we're going to see the emotions pouring from people for for a while, at least in L.A. And then, um, you know, after we have the Super Bowl, the Kobe um, mourning period will kind of die down with the rest of the nation. Okay. Um, For a lot of young people, for a generation that's younger than me, um, their stars are sort of dying off young. You're talking about Nipsey Hussle. You're talking about Biggie. You're talking about Tupac. Uh, you're talking about Kobe and and several others um, who have left. Uh, you're talking about Aaliyah, who has left far too soon. Talk to me a little bit about um, what that means for um, our for for a generation um, that will revere Kobe, because he'll never, obviously, after Sunday, he'll never become um, the Bill Russell. Um, of his time where he can give his advice to all of the younger players. So talk to me a little bit about that. I think what happens is when we have heroes die young, you don't, you never see them at their greatest as far as education, as far as movements and things like this, because, but we will see them at their greatest as a performer, but we won't see them at their greatest as a man or a woman because, um, when you're in your twenties, you just want to get paid. Then in your late twenties and maybe thirties, you're talking about trying to win championships and, uh, and, and trying to leave a legacy in a sport. When you get into your forties and fifties and sixties, it's like, how can I make the world better? And I, I and we never got to experience that stage with, uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, we, we don't, you know, I think we did to a certain point with Nipsey Hussle, but we didn't see him at his greatest where uh, he's mature uh, and still has a youthfulness about him that can lead people or that would allow him to lead people to, uh, you know, greater heights. So we we never got to see that with Kobe Bryant. Okay. Um, Before we get out of here, Terry, give us your final thoughts on everything we sort of talked about today and anything else. Uh, that you uh, want to discuss as it relates to to Kobe? Well, I think what Kobe did and the reason that we had this national outpouring is he showed us that he is more than a basketball player. He showed us that he does have his flaws. He showed us that he is a sports icon, but he's also a human being. And I think once you roll that all together, that people, uh, their emotions... Um, just out, you know, it was an outpouring of love and outpouring of respect and an outpouring of thanks because whether you realize it or not, he left an impact on a lot of people's lives. And uh, I think they just want to thank him because they know they can't do it personally and, and probably never could even when he was alive, but they just want to thank him. I think this is more of a tribute of thanks than, um, 
than missing the, the guy. Where they, they, you know, they probably uh, go hand in hand. Okay. Well, thank you, Terry. We we uh, appreciate you taking out time and being on okay uh, the show um, today. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on for something else. All right, that sounds good. Sorry, it's late, but they uh, broke out some chicken wings, and uh, it was a frenzy around here. So I understand. It's no problem. I got at a little all. late. That's okay. All right. All right. Thank okay. you. Take it easy. With you too. And as we leave beyond the headlines this week. Um, not only keep Kobe Bryant in your thoughts and prayers uh, and keep his family in your thoughts and prayers, make sure that you keep the other seven people that were in the helicopter with Kobe Bryant in your thoughts and prayers because right now Kobe Bryant is getting all of the attention, all of the the love and, and everything um, that goes with a celebrity that is – has been lost. But we also have to remember that there were seven other people in that, that helicopter with them. And they all, they all have families. They all have friends. They all have people who love them as well. And with that, we'll end beyond the headlines this week. And we hope you have a great time. As we leave beyond the headlines, we'd like to always leave you with an inspirational quote to ponder for the next show. This one comes from Susan L. Taylor. In every crisis, there is a message. Crises are nature's way of forcing change, breaking down old structures, shaking loose negative habits so that something new and better can take their place. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.